Hello, my name is Jackie Robinson Ivy, and um, I have the pleasure of getting to um, chair the board of the City Club. So, um, thank you all for being here. It is certainly our honor to be at this wonderful uh, restaurant and, and space. Can we give, um, you know, the um, North Lawndale Employment Network and BLAV a hand? It is absolutely beautiful, and I am a tea lover, so I have a new place to stop by now. Um, my introduction is very short. I'm not even doing intros. Um, see, I didn't even want to let go of my tea, so <laughs> I'm holding on to it. I'm good. Thank you. Um, got to hold on my tea. So just want to quickly thank Andrea and Gloria and the We Rise Together um, group, the Chicago Community Trust as a whole. I will forget a name and then I'll be in trouble. Uh, the North Lawndale Employment Network for hosting. And um, I am coming down from this place to now. Uh, I don't even know if I need to introduce my good friend and longtime mentor, Gloria Castillo, but that's what it says in the paper here. So I don't know that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> So I'm introducing Gloria Castillo. Gloria? <laughs> Thank you. We are really, truly longtime friends and colleagues, and it's just wonderful to see Jackie. We haven't seen each other since the beginning of COVID, so it's really a special day for me. And it's really special to be here with you um, today. I... I want to start by by once again thanking Brenda, the entire team here at NLEN, um, for hosting us, for providing us with the delicious treats. We all know that you got to have a biscuit when you come here. And so <laughs> I was so thrilled. Um, and want to thank the entire panel for, for being with us this morning. And I want to thank all of you for being here. It's really important to us that we had this in community. And so it's important that you were here and we thank you for that. Um, two years ago, when I took the helm of We Rise Together, it was really to ensure that we had a strong strategy for investing in community. And um, we really were focused on making sure that the harm that was done to the Black and Latinx community by COVID was addressed through the investments of We Rise. But we knew that brick and mortar investments were not going to be enough. We know that community context buildings matter and, but they're not enough to transform a neighborhood economy. And so we established a three prong strategy, which was to invest in the real estate projects that were community led and meaningful to community and then surround those anchor projects with strengthening employment and strengthening black and Latinx businesses. And so together with our partners and donors, we've been able to meet the moment. Since September of 2021, we have granted more than $34 million to Black and Latinx communities in Chicago. And with those dollars, we've unlocked some $328 million in real estate investment. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. By investing in these communities, we're ensuring that the communities have the services and amenities that they have determined 
are important for them to thrive. Um, and we want to see the residents in those communities to have incomes and build wealth so they can take advantage of everything that their community has to offer and everything that the cities have to offer, Chicago and the surrounding cities. But we know that we've only begun to scratch the surface of what we need to make economic, uh, equitable economic development truly possible. And we all know, um, or I think we all know, that the Chicago Community Trust is committed to closing the racial and ethnic wealth gap. So I just want you to, for a moment, imagine what it would change in Chicago if Black and Latinx neighbors had the same opportunities to achieve their full economic potential as the city's white communities. Just think about that for a moment of how that would change the city. Imagine how that would change each household's opportunities and the opportunities for the next generation of Chicagoans. Think about how that would change neighborhoods and how economic opportunity and safety go hand in hand. Imagine how the city's fiscal outlook would change if more residents were employed in jobs that allowed them to save money and build wealth. And if communities on the south and west sides had more thriving businesses that increased assets and strengthened our tax base. That's the Chicago that we all want to be part of. And that takes intentional action with measurable results. So we've been making the investments, and we've also been measuring how those investments are impacting their communities through local development, increased foot traffic and spending patterns, employment, and the way residents feel about their neighborhoods. We're working with Loyola's Center for Urban Research and Learning, MAPCOR, and MasterCard to gather real-time and longer-term data. And we're measuring community opinion so that we can measure the impact from multiple angles and truly understand how these investments can catalyze change in our neighborhoods and Chicago as a whole. This evaluation will help us to put data to the stories that we hear from you every day. So today, we're going to hear from We Rise Together grant recipients who are bringing community-led development to Black and Latinx neighborhoods. And I'm especially excited and honored um, to bring their stories to you today as I step down from leading We Rise Together by at the end of this month. And I can tell you, for those of you who do know me, um, only work of this import and impact could have enticed me out of <laughs> retirement. Um, but I feel strongly that We Rise deserves my continued support, which it will have. And I really hope it will have your continued support. And that coming out of today's conversation, when you hear from these incredible leaders, that you will help spread the word that we are continuing to grow, we rise, and we're continuing to build um, the fund that helps us make these projects possible. So I'm going to turn this over now to Kristen Wiggins, we rise together's program manager and my colleague and important thought partner um, to moderate the discussion. Thanks, Kristen? Gloria. Thank you guys all. Thank you everyone for 
here. It's been such a joy to get to work with all these project leaders and program leaders over the last two years. Um, this is just a handful of the folks we get to work with. Gloria talked a bit about how we're measuring the impact of their work, but we're going to share a little bit different perspective about impact today, about how the community experiences impact. Um, so I'm going to start our uh program with a twist on a, on a similar question for each of our participants here. And I'm going to start with Brenda because she is um, so graciously agreed to host us today, but also this building that we're sitting in that has a cafe, it has training rooms, um, it has a, 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 a meeting space, and, and, uh, and also production facilities for the honey business that um, NLEN has started. This was our first We Rise Together project to open. And this was the first one to feel real in community. And so we wanted to sort of um, start with you, Brenda. Um, can you share a little bit about why this campus was needed and wanted? And what does it mean for the local economy when you oh, opened up? Great questions. And, and I just have to say, good morning, everyone. <laughs> and morning. welcome to the North Lawndale Employment Network campus. Um, I have a little cold, so if you could hear us stuffiness and... Um, both Kristen and I both are we're sharing colds right now. So um, we're, we're all in it together. We rise together. We have colds together. Um, I, I honestly, I can't stop smiling at the idea that we actually created a space that the community was seeking in terms of of increasing our impact. So there's a couple of things. Um, why did we even need to do this? Uh, first of all, we ran out of space. We were operating in five different locations uh, here in North Lawndale. We were, uh, and, and, and that's not good because your programs don't have the ability to have synergy amongst them. And your clients have to go from one location to a different location. And it just wasn't optimal for folks to learn. Um, and nor was it uh, healthy for my staff. We began to operate in silos and communication um, issues and challenges started to emerge as well. So we knew we needed a place um, where all of our programs could be under the same uh, roof. It's also um, a part of our strategic planning process that ultimately what drives our work is that it's expensive to be poor. And we understood the sense of urgency in meeting a greater number of folks in our community's needs to improve the quality of their life. And you see it on their faces, especially because through research that we've conducted or commissioned, 57% um, of the adults in our community have had some involvement in the criminal justice system. And that means that people who want to work can't always access work. Unfortunately, um, because of the stigma that's still associated with having a criminal record. Mm -hmm. So we knew we had to do something to create more opportunities for our community overall to access employment. The other thing that we wanted to do was change the stigma that people have about our work and that they didn't understand that we were here to serve the entire community of North Lawndale. People thought that, well, you're only interested in serving people that have criminal records. And it's like, no, it's, it's that we want to be here to serve everyone. And so having a new facility, having a place where people could come and learn about our work and learn about our services was really critical especially when the median income in our community is anywhere between twenty-five dollars to $28,000 a year. Um, 
We are committed to helping improve the quality of your life through upskilling and through transitional work experience, you know, through our social enterprises. Um, the other thing that uh, was a challenge for us was we were constantly being told that we were one of North Lawndale's best kept secrets. <laughs> we don't want to be a secret. <laughs> We want people to know about us. You know, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And so even though word of mouth was primarily how people learned about us, we didn't have a physical place where people could go, oh, yeah, they're located right over there on the corner of Roosevelt and Homan. You know, there wasn't that because we were sort of spread out everywhere. Um, And so it was important to elevate and raise awareness of the services that we provide and for, for everyone in this neighborhood. Our quality of life plan that was, uh, I guess it's now five years old, um, helped us to understand that people lacked a place to gather. There are a few places, and I love the Green Tomato. As a matter of fact, they were one of our favorite places. It's another place to grab a good meal and sandwiches here in North Lawndale. Uh, There's a McDonald's (laughs) and a Taco Bell. Um, But there weren't enough places for people to plug up your computer, have conversations with friends, do quick business meetings, all uh, while enjoying a handcrafted coffee uh, experience. So all of those things contributed to the why. And the economic impact, um, just real quickly, I know, is... um, it's been it's it's been beyond our imagination um, to have a cafe uh, year one. We anticipated certainly that it would be at a loss, but we're actually um, beating uh, or exceeding our original sales objectives for the cafe. It's stunning. We're really really happy about that. Um, we've increased our capacity to produce the Sweet Beginnings uh, Beloved products by five. I mean, if you all saw our first little building, Dr. McAvee, who's the president of our board of directors, we were at RT, some of you may have attended. He's like, yeah, you know, we had a raggedy-ass building on the west side of Chicago <laughs> over on Fillmore and a Florinoid Independence. And he literally said that, and it was, but we didn't see it that way. <laughs> but the reality is, we had a little bitty little bitty business that was operating there. But now, y'all, our sweet beginning sales are, are booming um, because we have the capacity to respond to more of the request and hire more people through our program. And I know Chris is telling me to go. One more last thing. Okay. And I promise I'll be quiet. It's about elevating local entrepreneurship. So to be able to have entrepreneurs of color participate in the cafe to have the opportunity to have art art uh, activations happening in the cafe, to have um, the opportunity for community meetings. I think we've had over, I don't know, Jessica, how many meetings do you think we've hosted? Hundreds of community meetings. A place for people to meet has been incredible. And so that's all about retaining dollars in this neighborhood, bringing dollars in and having them retain rather than flipping out mm-hmm. uh, within six hours is the, is the, is the turnover rate. Mm-hmm. So it, it is about becoming an economic engine that we 
um, wanted to be, but actually we're living it yeah. and experiencing it. Thank you. Now, listen, it's, <laughs> when you start digging into these projects, it is hard to stop talking about them because they're amazing. <laughs> and um, I want to give um, a chance for Erin and Jesse to talk. We just ha- we get a chance to see these projects all over the city. They're amazing. Um, Jesse and Erin are um, two of the leaders um, for a project called United Yards, which is on 47th Street. Um, it is a, it a is. rehabilitation of some affordable housing, but with retail on the first floor that is going to house several different local entrepreneurs, a coalition of uh, local businesses run by Jesse. And that space will actually be owned by those businesses at the end of the compliance period. So I want, uh, maybe Erin, you could go for it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Erin, <laughs> can you talk just about a little bit how your partnership developed? Because it is a little different story than maybe some of these others. Yeah. Well, I like to say uh, two great tastes that go great together, uh, housing and, uh, and, and small business. Um, but first, I just want to say, Brenda, this really is an inspiration. One of the things in the Chicago Community Trust gets a lot of credit for this is that there aren't a lot of great examples as we're trying to model what we're doing and seeing this. We actually toured the Hatchery, another Chicago Community Trust-funded property. We've had some events for Invest Southwest at Gallery Guitar. And having the ability to see this and having positive models for how this can work, especially as we're getting started, is hugely important. So thank you for everything you've done here. So, um, yeah, so during the Invest Southwest RFP, both Jesse, uh, we started out as uh, across the, uh, the table, across the Zoom screen, competing for the uh, Invest Southwest RFP uh, for new, the new city site at Justine and West 47th. And throughout the process, we wanted to, you know, poke holes in their puzzle. All we could hear is Jesse was talking about his model, and he'll talk more about it in a moment was be inspired by what he was uh, intending to, to do with Back of the Yards works. And like just to sort of say, United Yards, is it's, it's a, there's a slash. It's United Yards slash Back of the Yards works because really what we're going to be known for, I, I truly believe this is what's going to be on the corner of 47th and South Ashland um, in Back of the Yards works. And the support we're getting um, is making that possible. So it was an unlikely partnership at first. We had a housing-heavy proposal. Jesse had a retail-heavy proposal. But there were some common themes around um, uh, employment-focused support. We have, uh, in, in the ground floor of our housing development, a, an opportunity hub that we hope will have a pretty collaborative relationship with the small businesses. Um, and Jesse's concept of a, of a, of a circular economy um, and you know, connecting with all the other resources and amenities within this community uh, was a... Um, you know, just a lightning bolt for us in terms of the, the connections it works. As, as Kristen mentioned, we have 100 units of supportive living in the, in the space above where the back of the yards works is going to be. It just took uh, a long time trying to figure out how, how do we actually, a lot of affordable housings have had um, famous uh, failure, failures in trying to put small business retail in the ground floor. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that affordable housing developers don't really know what they're doing when it comes to retail um, Jesse uh, and, and the Back of the Yards Works team have a ton of experience. They are in the community and partially through the encouragement of the city of Chicago, uh, the, uh, Alderwoman Taylor in the 20th Ward uh, kind of brought us to the table together. Um, we sat down and gradually came up with this, with this concept, which we can go into more yeah. today. Jesse, you want to talk a little bit about what this new space means for the Back of the Yards community and what it's going to offer? Yeah, I think, you know, as Erin mentioned, you know, my area of expertise was not affordable housing uh, or housing uh, period. Um, but, you know, one of the things, you know, as we were competitors, one of the things that I 
uh, liked about their proposal uh, before we kind of put it together was that they had a bigger dream, more buildings, and have a bigger effect, potential of having a bigger effect in the community. We were focused on just one on one corner. Um, but but I think, you know, the one of the things that's always missing, I think, about the affordable housing piece is the affordability, right? And that's the area that we were trying to, to tackle. Um, you know, in, in communities like Back of the Yards, you know, on the west side and the south side of Chicago, you know, it's, it's great to build nice houses, but we need those people to be able to afford them because, uh, you know, housing always will go up. And and that's what we're uh, helping provide. You know, we're, you, know, you talked about the circular economy. For us, um, you know, I think the idea is for every dollar that you spend in one of the businesses that is going to be part of this is going to be multiply uh, multiple times. A hundred percent of all the, the business owners uh, that are going to be part of this are from the community. Uh, they're minority owned, uh, and uh, some are women owned as well. And not only that, but we're also going to be hiring locally, paying, you know, fair wages, um, to make sure that we're, we're, you know, maintaining those dollars there. And those people that are going to be working, they're not only living there, they're shopping there in other small businesses that also employ locally. So I, I forgot what the number is, but so many times by spending one dollar in one of our businesses, that dollar is being multiplied multiple times in the community. So we're trying to do really a, a true uh, circular economy and, and working with the Opportunity Hub, also training folks in things that are, that, that, that are, that have good job opportunities in the area. When we, um, we first embarked in this, we, you know, we did some research and we found out that back of the yards pre-pandemic had over 4,500 young people between the ages of 16 and 24 that were out of school and unemployed. And so we're number 10 in the city uh, as far as neighborhoods when it comes to that. But then we also looked at youth violence. We were also number 10. And then we looked at the top 10, you know, neighborhoods with high youth violence. It coincided with, you know, high uh, youth unemployment. And so our goal is to really, you know, provide some of these opportunities, this job training and provide meaningful jobs so that yeah, essentially we can help reduce violence. You know, you hear because of the, the, the mayoral campaign right now of how to, how to stop violence and putting more cops is not necessarily the, the solution. It might be a stopgap, but if we really generally want to prevent that for years to come, uh, we have to invest in, in our communities and invest in the lives of the young people there. Thanks, Jesse. I'm going to turn it over to Darnell to talk a little bit about his project. Um, the project that Darnell's working on is in the former Emmett School. It's this gorgeous building on, at the gateway of Austin. Um, and Darnell's got a vision about, uh, and has had a vision that he's been working with in the community for years to try to turn this into something that the community wants. So, Darnell, tell us a little bit about what's going into that building and, and why it is you fought so hard for this to make sure it became a reality. Oh, uh, first, let me say Amen. To what you just said, uh, I think you hit it on the head. And and Brenda, you have been such an inspiration for the work that we're doing in Austin uh, for a long time. So uh, it's such a privilege to be up here with you. Um, yeah, I. So we're working on a um, what we believe is a major catalytic project. Um, Image School uh, was a CPS elementary school that was closed in 2013. Uh, during the school closings. And, you know, there were a number of schools closed in the Austin community. Probably we had more schools closed than any other community area. And so just thinking about sort of the devastation of that 
on the community constantly seeing centers and assets being lost um, that are no longer utilized. And then coupled with these are buildings that now will sit in our community and be vacant and constant reminders of desolation and that we're not worthy or have value to things like education, economic development, all of the things that you enjoy in other communities. And so the reason this project is, is so pivotal for me is because I grew up in the community and my experience growing up in Austin has always been one of being reminded of what we don't have. And I've always associated uh, success with attaining things that was not in my community. And so just imagine a young person growing up in a place where everywhere you look, there's nothing that you can actually associate yourself with that would make you believe that you're going to be successful. And so that's why this project is so critical to me, because I can see this building at this intersection of Central and Madison being a, bu a place that is bustling with workforce development training for community residents to be able to gain access to jobs and, and, and skills that will allow them to gain living wage careers. I can see people meeting in a community plaza uh, to, to be able to gather and, and just talk and, and do things like have a coffee, just basic stuff that you, you know, a lot of us take for granted. Um, also gaining access to banking, like there are no banks in our community. Austin is the largest community area in the city of Chicago and the second largest in population. And we have two banks. Makes no sense. So, I mean, just thinking about this and this, this project, this is a $40 million project. It's, the investment is, is, is uh, tremendous, uh, but it's more of what it symbolizes in our community in terms of changing our mindset mm -hmm. around that we're worthy yeah. of having the things that we all should have a right to and should enjoy. And so every time I'm looking forward to driving down Central and Madison so that I can see something that is aspiring, yes. no pun intended, <laughs> aspiring me to do better, to want more, to be better, and to make sure that others in the community um, can strive for more as well. Thanks, Darnell. You can see why I love my job. Um, we know that COVID didn't cause inequity, right? We know that these things ha were happening before COVID, but COVID really brought to the front issues that had been simmering and maybe some people hadn't always noticed. As you've worked through your project, Darren, I'll ask you actually to go first. As you've worked through your project, what are some of the ways that that manifested itself? And, and how did, what are some of the inequities you were trying to work through to bring this to fruition? I, I think the main in inequity that we were trying to work through was just um, being able to get gain access to capital. Um, it's interesting when you think of, you know, disinvestment you, you think of you know communities like austin and so now here we are trying to garner investment and not just any investment garner investment at a scale that just is like astronomical uh right and so that was a huge challenge uh going into the pandemic because all of the things that we were already contending with were exacerbated i mean you pick pick food insecurity 
uh, you know, all of the different things that we are faced with, economic development. And so being able to actually attract the resources that we needed to actually build this center, um, it, it was a Herculean task. Yeah. And, and at every turn, we found ourselves kind of, you know, hey, we want to invest in it, but um, how much equity do you have? We don't have any equity. <laughs> so it's, it's, and then even with public subsidies um, in terms of city grants, TIF, um, state grants, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, these levers that are put in place to be able to help power uh, community development forward, in most cases, Suspensive to be broke. I love how you said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, in most cases, you're not able to uh, leverage them unless you already have the equity equal to the amount that you're actually being granted. So if you're receiving a TIF grant for $10 million, okay, do you have $10 million to spend over the next two years? Because you won't get receive a reimbursement for that for two years. Yeah. And so just access to capital was an extreme um, difficulty. And it's another reason why we definitely need catalytic philanthropic investment. And yeah. I would even go as far as to say that it's, it's more than catalytic. It, it's critical. It it's critically catalytic. Yeah, thanks. Brennett, what about you? What are, what are some of the experiences you had during the project, um, bringing this project to fruition that highlighted you know, oh, so many things. Um, I, I think I'm finally starting to recover. <laughs> um, having a vision for wanting a place where you can deliver programs and services in a beautiful way and a respectful way to people whom often um, are invisible was really important. Uh, but it's a whole different thing to manage a project like that in the midst of the pandemic. And uh, so there were uh, delays I was sharing earlier that one of my biggest lessons was everything will take longer than you ever think it will. Just period. Just drop the mic, done. (laughs) Um, Zoning for me was a real, uh, a real, a particular challenge. Um, It was uh, frustrating to say the least that uh, because our campus, uh, which is formerly a bank, um, is located in what's called a planned development, meaning that others that have pro- that own property um, in your planned development area have to approve any of your special construction plans. And I received a lot of pushback from some of our our uh, neighbors. I mean, we wanted to have a cafe, and you know, I'll just say it: McDonald's wasn't happy about that. So they're part of the plan development here, and we had to really work hard. And I spent a lot of money with legal fees um, just fighting, you know, folks that didn't want us. The grocery store, um, we wanted to have a farmer's market, um, and we invited the grocery store to partner with us for people to have, you know, access to food, in a, especially during the pandemic. It was like, come on, let's do this. And they were like, nope, our margins are too thin. We're not going to be able to support that. And they were giving us a hard time. So I had to agree to not allow farmer's markets to take place at our campus. We have this beautiful parking lot that could have been perfect. Um, So there were things I had to learn how to acquiesce so I could ultimately still provide services here in a way that we wanted. Um, I will also 
just quickly mention the power and the importance of philanthropy for me. Um, and, you know, Jessica and I often like to talk about trust-based philanthropy, trust-based philanthropy, because I did have to have a case statement, talk about our vision, have a business plan, but people allowed and chose to invest in our vision. Um, and that was really key for me with We Rise Together. Um, the Staines Family Foundation is here as well. They were the first to step in and say, we trust you. We trust your vision. We think we trust what you want to have in your community. And we're going to invest in you. And that was what I needed because it was scary to do this. I will just say, you know, I, I felt like raising 400, uh, half a million dollars at a T was big, was real great. You know, oh. um, and then my board was like, no, you, you need to raise about 10 to 12 million. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Um, um, so it was a capacity building journey for me, but I, I think that I'm so grateful for philanthropy because, uh, it, it made it a lot easier. Um, although we did do new market tax credits and we became much more sophisticated about our capital stack. But what, what was key was that I had the support of philanthropy that made it easier for others to jump in and, and provide that equity. Thanks, Marta. How about for uh, United Yards and uh, Back of the Yards Works? Well, Jesse can talk a little bit about the uh, complications of running a small business during the, uh, the pandemic. But I'll just say from our perspective, uh, you know, we, we were... We submitted our application for this RFP, I think about right at the end of year one of the pandemic. So we were already all doing that from a distance and uh, doing all of affordable housing, community development in general is a face-to-face. This is, it's, it's retail development. It's, it's uh, community. We usually do community-driven zoning processes. Being able to do this working in tandem with the city uh, over Zoom is just, it's, it's alienating. It's distance-creating. Um, and one of the ways in which we, we really tried to work through that, and I don't think we would, this would have been possible without having a truly local partner when I mean, we were here, but we're, Jesse is, was just is operating a business right down the street from where we're working. Um, you know, just, just finding the ability to get face to face doing community driven, uh, community, uh, meetings, um, you know, took months to plan. Turnout was always light in, in back of the yards. Uh, I think we're at about 65% now that is, is um, Spanish is a primary and in a lot of cases only language. So doing bilingual community engagement was, was very difficult. Um, but it really did add and elements to our projects beyond just the, the partnership here. Um, reducing the rents on our units to what is truly affordable for back of the yards, not just for the city of Chicago. Uh, to, to make sure that 100% of our units are, are going to be accessible locally so we're not just adding to the influx of people from um, outside looking for, uh, for, for opportunities there, but really first serving the community that, that this project's going to be based. Uh, but in addition to that, expanding out, as Jesse mentioned, you know, we, we've, this project, uh, there's such a need for redevelopment, uh, expanding out, now going from Marshfield all the way down to Justine, <laughs> connecting a, uh, a restaurant that just opened right before the pandemic, all the way down to the business um, district that's further down 47th Street, uh, as one contiguous site, we've also now added a property in in the middle of this all that's ultimately going to be a supportive housing development um, because there's a a uh, very um, dilapidated uh, SRO property right in the middle of this that the community raised for us and said, 
we can't support this unless you tell us how you're going to uh, approach the, the, uh, this this issue here in our community. Instead of just tearing it down, we're going to try to re- rehabilitate it, keeping the residents there in, in place. Um, but uh, again, doing all this while being uh, from a distance was was very complicated. Um, I do want to also point out and and thank you to the uh, previous panelists for saying this. The early in capital is is, is irreplaceable. Um, and I know when when Kristen and I started talking earlier in this process, just explaining what it, it's like to run a development where two different development teams are really working. Jesse had a, um, a locally based uh, MBAWB architect that had the, you know, the design vision for back of the yards work, being able to engage her to do, could really help Jesse complete his vision was essential. So being able to um, have that early in capital that's really not there for, for developments like this uh, was, was irreplaceable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one one of the biggest challenges for us, as you mentioned, was even you know when we put a team together, everybody everybody's work is valuable and it costs money uh, that we don't have, and so uh, we don't have the access to the banks and to the financial institutions or the traditional kind of funding options because we just don't have that re- those relationships. You know, um, you know, I'm, my background isn't as a developer, and so having Aaron and Saladan and their team uh, be part of this is valuable because it's giving us. Um, you know, a good learning experience. Um, it's given us access to to things that we didn't have before. But I think, you know, what's really making this project successful is the community input, right? The, the connection with the community. One of the things that I think why our proposal was successful, at least in garnishing support from the community, was because I'm from the community, right? And and so I I grew up there. I, I saw and know and understand the needs, right? Um, everything that we've have, we've had to fight for, and it's exhausting, right? And and at some point, you gotta, you know, figure like how, how can we do this without spending so much energy on the fighting part? If we can spend more, you know, effort on the building, and and that's you know the privilege that we have now. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, uh, it's expensive to be poor, and and it's true because you know we have to. It, it costs more money to do business when you don't have the access to capital. Um, but it's also um, a privilege um, to fail. Like, I, you know, that's one thing that, I've, that I learned growing up. Failure is a privilege. You know, so many people from my community, so my, so many, you know, many of my friends growing up, you know, didn't have those uh, opportunities to fail. One mistake and it was over. Um, and so, you know, having access to capital is so important. Because it allows us to, to fail, it allows us to make mistakes. And, but we learn from those mistakes and we build from those mistakes. And, and I think that's one of the things for us that definitely certainly helps um, with this project. It helps us, uh, you, you know, being able to, to learn, you know, from folks who already made mistakes, right? Um, and, and really build, you know, a, a hub uh, for the community to grow and to support. And, and even just being part of this this project, um, there's a lot of people watching. I think, you know, you know, I was, I was mentioning uh, this morning that um, people were emotional. You know, like the, the Goldblatt's building, you know, for so many years uh, was where we used to go shopping, right? And, and then to be able to walk in there and, and to be able to have the privilege of now owning a piece of this is, is huge. Um, and the community sees that and they see that we're doing it it inspires others to, to do the same. Uh, when we first opened up our coffee shop in the neighborhood, uh, there had never been a coffee shop in the neighborhood. Now, 
there's there's one, then there's two more being built, right? You know, it, it just takes that one, uh, that beginning, and and there's room, there's room for everyone. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks, Jesse. <laughs> um, this has been so great. You know, one thing I want to highlight, We Rise Together was always meant to be um, a, a five-year accelerator. How do we get capital and resources and attention into communities quickly after COVID so that um, the recession is not as long for communities of color as it almost always is. Recessions always last longer and are deeper for Latinx and Black communities and families. Um, but, you know, it's still, we're, we're focused on that five-year goal. What do you hope people learn from this that you want them to take into the future? What, what lesson do you want people to walk away with um, from what we've experienced in this short period of time? Um, actually, I, I, just building off, I, I think it, it really does. I really want people to learn that, you know, when you think about the issues that folks are impacted by, like the ones that are impacted directly and the most, like they have the greatest, um, they have the greatest potential to create solutions for those issues to be addressed. And so, you know, but that warrants um, giving them a chance. That warrants investing in them to come up with those innovative ideals uh, to spur innovation. And when you think about what's happening in our communities. Now, you know, thanks to catalytic investments through We Rise, the Chicago Community Trust, other philanthropic partners, um, it is now starting to help create some momentum that we're, where we're leading our own transformation in partnership with private sector, in partnership with government. This is how we're going to get to the solutions that are actually going to work to address things like violence, to address food insecurity, to address all of these other things that are uh, parallel and, and that are also contributors to uh, our communities not being uh, at the level that they need to be. And, but, we, but we can't stop there. We have to um, also invest in programs and, and projects that are also supported in these communities that are in other issue areas like education, like youth empowerment, public safety projects. We have to invest in housing. All of these things have to happen simultaneously because for you know a long time, it's always been a case of chicken and egg. And that doesn't get us there. That just gets us a moment. And then you know somewhere along the line, it reverts back or it moves, the problem moves. If we really want to obliterate, if we really want to forever change, these communities and, and, and create equity across our city. It, we have to continue to be catalytic in our investment. We have to continue to give community a chance to fail yes. and, and, right. and, and to learn and to increase their capacity. Because I often talk about uh, community leaders and community organizations as they should be considered resource partners as well. The same way we consider banks resource partners or uh, philanthropy resource partners, the city planners, and so on and so forth, because the information and the context that they have that we provide, it's, 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 it's priceless. It's also valuable. So we have to invest in that and continue to invest in it.
I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think a couple of things come to mind. One is uh, I recently heard this quote that uh, says stumbling is only uh, is only uh, proof of momentum. And I thought, huh, I like that. Because as an African-American woman uh, leading a nonprofit with big, hairy, audacious goals, um, having the freedom to stumble and see it as momentum mm-hmm. is a game changer for me. And I think that's part of what you know, We Rise Together has allowed. But I also uh, want you to know we feel the pressure to be perfect, to be excellent, to get it right the first time. And so by having that kind of pressure, uh, know that that, that that ultimately is sort of unhealthy at the end of the day. And so if we could switch, you know, to this trust-based approach, knowing that we can, we have the answers here in community, as said, we want to be solution-oriented, we want to be able to, as people who live closest to the issues, come up with solutions. I mean, that's what Italian is. It was a group of folks from the community that said, we want to address workforce development and economic development in our community. And 20-some years later, you know, here's where we are. It took time. And so that's the only thing I would regret is how do we accelerate, <laughs> yeah. you know, how long it takes to build that. But be okay with allowing us to stumble forward so that we can uh, get it right and, and really improve the quality of life for the people that we're here to serve. Jesse and Aaron, I'll let you have the last word. I think for me, it's, it's one of the things that I think about is you know, investing in projects like these and, and businesses like ours um, you know, and, and communities like ours is, is not just for altruistic purposes. It, they make economic sense. Like we, you know, we're a, a profitable business and, and given the opportunity to grow, we can provide more jobs. We can, you know, provide more economic opportunity to other communities. And I think that's important to understand that, that um, you know, banks, you know, all the time, you know, loan to failing businesses, right? And oftentimes the barometer is, you know, how they feel that they can pay that back. But I think one of the things is, look, is, you know, how ambitious is a project? How realistic is a project? Um, have they thought about how to, you know, how they're going to make money and how they're, they're going to be successful? I think those are more important questions. And I think those of us who have, uh, don't have access to capital, sometimes we have to think about that a little bit more. Um, and so, and, and to a certain degree, I mean, we have lost money and resources from other years of not having that investment. And I think if we can, you know, cut that down and, and really uh, start building and, and growing, um, it'll really allow us and, and other communities and other businesses like ours to really flourish. And I'll be brief. I mean, I think a great takeaway from our project is just collaboration is not um, a threatening thing. I think a lot of times, particularly in real estate, we all think that only we can, can get this done uh, and that working on our, our own, we can control all the variables and it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Having a partner, we have, we have a, a, a third partner in our development, the Blackwood Group, which is a construction company, but moving into development. I think the, the, the three of our, our three teams working together 
to some of us have specialist specializations in certain areas, but we would we would have been stuck in the mud during the last two years had we not been working together. And there is almost always enough room at the table for these kinds of things, particularly if you if you um, you know are going after quality people. We really quickly realized the quality we that we were um, had in front of us in, in back of the arts works and Jesse's team. Uh, but but to just not not walk away, not to think that we've got it all under control, because even in the best of circumstances, we don't. And uh, usually the best circumstances aren't what you get. Yeah. Well, please join me in thanking um, our panel. <laughs> yep. I just want to close by saying, you know, these projects are amazing, right? We've heard how fabulous these individual projects are, but they're really just the beginning of so much of the vision. We funded 32 brick and mortar projects around the city of Chicago and the suburbs that are all just the start of amazing things to come. So if you're curious, check out our website, check out our materials. There's a lot of amazing work happening in the city. So I'll turn it over to Andrea. So I get to just... I think this is on. Okay. I get to just say thank you. Thank you to all of you for being here today. Thank you to Darnell. Thank you to Brenda. Thank you to Kristen. Thank you so much um, for all of you. You you are a panel of, for for some of you, some of my longtime heroes, and now today some new heroes um, for me to look up to and admire. These are the folks that are doing the work that in our estimate is going to transform the city of Chicago for all of us. Their work, their vision, their creativity, their problem solving, there's no silver bullet to the issues that we have facing our city. The silver bullet are getting behind and investing in people like the folks that are up here on this panel. They understand what's going on in their communities. They they are of community. They respect community. And being able to work alongside them in partnership is a privilege. So um, thanks for joining us and hearing their stories today. We um, want everyone here to feel motivated and activated to do what you can to bring more resources to this kind of work, whether it be through business investment that you have some influence over, whether it be through philanthropic dollars. The We Rise Together Fund is thrilled to announce this morning a new commitment of $3 million from the Staines Family Foundation. And uh, Pat Ford and Heather Staines are here today. Let's keep it going. Let's keep growing the resources at the disposal of brilliant leaders like these. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.